0: This was a few years ago, don't judge me. <laughs> it was a different time. It was a different time. I once came up with an idea for a sexual fantasy party. Stick with me. It's not a sex party. And I don't want you coming thinking that it is. It's...
4: But she does want
0: you coming. This, this was the idea that there was a certain amount of heterosexual men and heterosexual women and uh, gay men and women, and they would submit before the party their sexual fantasy, so a sort of stereotype or a, an idea. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, you could say, like, Jon Snow from Game of Thrones. Okay. Now, you would submit that. You'd dress as that. And then once that was locked and on a website, you could go and choose one of somebody else's, and then you would have to click it off. So when you turned up at the party, <laughs> your sexual fantasy would be there but you wouldn't know who it was. Like, you'd have to find that person, right? And then see if you were attracted to them. But here was the thing, <laughs> is in my market research, i.e. the pub, <laughs> I discovered that all the men wanted fantasies like schoolgirl, secretary, nurse, supernanny unacceptable and she's chosen one and all the women wanted man in a well-cut suit seriously and so I realized that at this party there would be a hundred women dressed in slutty versions I use slutty in the you know colloquial and also sex positive use of the word it's very difficult being a feminist and writing a pithy <laughs> joke. A um, hundred women dressed in sexy versions of the uniform of a support or care role. <laughs> and then a hundred James Bonds. <laughs> this was my plan. It was my plan, but it didn't, wasn't, didn't work out, feminist.
4: I recently went to, wait for it, a pirate-themed wedding. Sure. <laughs> Yeah. What? What? Surely the whole thing, what the whole thing, was swashbuckling. A pirate-themed wedding? Wedding, <sighs> yes. Like, wedding? Wedding. Actual ceremony. Oh, I Swords, the... treasure hunts. <gasps> it was a pirate-themed wedding. We're kind of into it. Kind of into it. Uh, we went to the costume shop and I was like, I want to get a massive parrot outfit.
0: Nice. Right?
4: And I'm li- and like at one. My husband is quite tall, so I thought at one point I might be able to sit on his shoulder. That's the idea, funny. just for just for the photos. Sure, funny. So we get there, and I'm going through all of the books. There's no parrot my size, Devo, and then all of the pirate outfits or anything that even hinted at being for women all had sexy in front of it all of them were sexy all of them yeah and and so I was like maybe I can look in the children's section because I'm quite small anyway I ended up putting something together myself my fella got the parrot outfit very upsetting he got it he looks amazing good for him (laughs) and then the funniest part was the day of the wedding in the morning we had a massive fight and then we had to drive an hour across London me as an angry pirate and then we got out of the car and he had to put a huge fucking parrot outfit on. <laughs>
0: Incredible. Brilliant. R. That is such a scene in a sitcom, but in a oh, sitcom no. he'd be wearing the parrot in traffic. Yeah, I've already written in my phone. Sure, It'll s- yeah.
4: If anyone will give me a fucking sitcom! Anyway. Okay. They will, they will. I'm a feminist, but when Democratic women wore all white to Donald Trump's State of the Union address in support of gender equality... I thought the true act of bravery was knowing that they all wore all white and many of them were on their period. How? How do they do it? What? Like, a lot of them were wearing tight white trousers. I'm like, what, are you just out there on a tampon and a panty liner?
0: What, are you kidding yourself? The whole world's watching. You don't know how heavy it's going to be. I think in that situation I would wear a moon carp and then a pad. Yeah, and then some tights made of plastic
4: with elasticized ankles just in case.
0: (laughs) Are you wearing ski trousers under the white linen trousers?
4: If I'm at the State of the Union, yes. If I'm going to a party, no. I just pack up another pair of trousers.
0: No, that's not true. I never will wear white trousers. I won't do it. If you be on the table, that on the podcast, it's going to sound like you're punching them in the ear as... (laughs) As they sit on the 86 tram. (laughs) Local reference. Brutal. Super local. I'm a feminist, but during the sexual fantasy party (laughs) planning session, when we were all declaring our uh, fantasies of man in well-cut suit, a young, shy woman joined the table just after we'd all said ours. And we said, what's your sexual fantasy? And she said, oh, I just fantasize about catching a man masturbating. <laughs> Misunderstanding the question. And we just said, oh, well, we'll just put down wanker." <laughs> and I laughed for like half an hour because oh, she was mate. so shy. And she just blurted it out. Oh, bless and her heart. People are all going. She's Ooh. like, this is a safe
4: space. She thought it was this. This won't end up in a podcast in a couple of years.
0: I still think of her and laugh to myself. I still still think of her.
4: That's what true feminists do. I still think about you and laugh. And that one time you tried to be real vulnerable and gave me the truth when I asked for it
0: then had to just go, yep, yeah, that's the kind of thing we were sharing. Alright, we'll have men in the corner masturbating. I'm sure we can organise it. I don't think that's going to be a difficult <laughs> imagine costume. imagine if you turned up and there was like a sexy sailor and a Chippendale and a, I don't know fireman. John Ham from Mad Men and, and then in the corner, the, whack, 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 whack Just a man masturbating but he has to be behind a curtain because you have to catch him Oh. That's the... He has to be thinking
4: he's in private. He's actually in the study, nude, with the door slightly ajar. So you don't think anyone's in there and then you walk in and you go, oh, no. He's got his laptop open and he quickly shuts it.
2: Oh, no, I'm just... I'm I'm just doing an Excel
4: spreadsheet. (laughs) I'm a feminist, but I have never seen an episode of Broad City. In my defence, I am lazy.
0: Well, light the torches, and uh, presumably you've all brought a pitchfork. Yep. Um, it was nice to see you all, guys. My car's um. running out the back, so... <laughs> I'm a feminist, but in truth, all the sexual fantasies I wanted to put forward for the sex party... <laughs> it's not sort of a sex party. It was a sexual fantasy party. Totally different. different, guys. Clean Sorry. it up. Sexual fantasy party. But in truth, all the sexual fantasies I wanted to put forward for the sexual fantasy party were clothed but active. For example, a man in a kilt stroking a puppy.
4: No one thought you were going to say puppy then. We thought you would have adapted the other lady's idea from the pub.
0: Or a man in a naval uniform smoking a cigar. Or a man in white tie polishing silver. That is so specific. Or, Or a man in a tweed jacket taking pictures with an old-school camera. Not as old-school
4: as cloth overhead. What do you mean, one of those little wind-ons that you got from the chemist no. at 24?
0: No, like, did you go see The Crown? OK, so, like, Armstrong Jones in The Crown. You know, that sort of, like, a really nice 1960s Leica camera. Like an SLR like camera. Yeah, 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 but okay. a really nice, vintage 1960s one I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. I mean, not looking for actively. <laughs> what? Not on eBay, no. I'm Princess Margaret in this scenario, though. Okay. In no other scenario am I Princess Margaret. <laughs> Was that the end of it? Yeah, you have to do yours. Honey. Oh yeah, no. I mean, first
4: question: Did the party happen?
0: No, because all the men said super nanny and you know. How sex, many six, said six? super nanny? More than one said super nanny. One said super nanny. One said Mary Poppins. <laughs> I don't want to be dressed as Mary Poppins. I just love a
4: woman with a magical bag.
0: Mary Patman Can you imagine this oh, um, Super Count cool Francis just, <laughs> just a spoonful <laughs> of sugar Helps the medicine go down It does. It does it though. does. It does. Satin pineapple juice. It does
4: i'm sorry it
0: does it's too early it does there's no need it's no need do you know what i want to say to mary poppins is it doesn't have to go down it doesn't that's the thing (laughs) you are a feminist and a woman and your boss is a fucking suffragette mary poppins and if you want to take it on your tits you can (laughs) i'm sorry well because you doesn't have to swallow up until this point it was all innuendo That's what I'm
4: here for, mate. That's what I'm here for. The single entendres. When have you ever had me on here and and just thought, oh, we'll get Felicity on just to tone it down a bit?
0: (laughs) It is true. It is true. I want to
4: keep it clean tonight. Let's get Felicity Ward. I'm a feminist, but even though I see myself as a strong, Self-reliant woman. Mm-hmm. I recently told my accountant mm-hmm. that I couldn't complete my tax return on time because of a family emergency. I mean, there was a family emergency, but that is not the reason I couldn't do my tax. <laughs> In my defence, I am lazy.
0: <laughs> Live from the Thornbury Theatre. That's I'm the That's the with me, wife, guest co-host Felicity Ward, and- Ripsky, Astrid Edwards, and the big the sick, talking about health and being heard. This is the Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as twenty-first century feminists and the hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. Today we are with Felicity Ward talking about health and being heard. Ooh. Oh, that's a good right that we, we don't say her- anything then. And you would have but gone. Ooh. Honestly, you go to a doctor, and sometimes they'll just be like, "No, it's all in your head." But I've never, I've never heard that from three semi-drunk women <laughs> at the Edinburgh no, Festival. You, you know, know what, what you heard? You've heard,
4: babe, babe, babe. No, seriously,
0: babe. I fucking hear you. Honestly. Honestly. He is not good enough for you. You are a queen? Not good enough. You text him now in front of me. I want to see, I'll, I'll write text the text. Him. I'll, I'll text, text him. And I'll tell him, no. he is going to lose you if he doesn't start treating you right. Now, who wants a drink? Do you want a drink? Do you, you, want, want, a a drink? Drink? Do you want a drink? Do you want a Let's drink? get another jug of margaritas. Which, a
4: jug. God bless
0: you. I haven't drunk for 12 years. I forgot about jugs. <laughs> jug like, of margaritas, my friend. A jug of margaritas is for you've seen the guy once or twice, and then he's just disappeared off the radar. That's sure. a jug of margarita situation. We need to analyse the last text he sent, and that's going to take Whereas 45 minutes. A jug
4: of illusions is 19.99, and I'm going to Bali. Is anyone old enough to remember a jug of illusions? Filthy, filthy stuff.
0: I do not know of this. It's Midori and sadness.
4: Oh. That's... But a jug.
0: I think that's more for a divorce than a... Yeah. You know, it's not, that's not for analysing the last text message. No, but day.
4: nothing no. is in Bali.
0: No, no, Bali's enough, like, enough. I'm a new woman! I'm gonna fuck anything! I'm coming home with diseases! Uh, A really good bottle of red wine is for, you know, when you feel like you're a career woman. Sure. I don't like like the expression career woman, because there's no equivalent, a career man is just a man. (laughs) It's it's job talk. But when you're feeling now I've got a proper career and not just a job.
4: Or it's when you have alcoholism but you're trying to act fancy.
0: (laughs) That too. That too. These are...
4: Guess what I used to
0: drink. These are very specific (laughs) examples, and listen, always, always we're talking about trends. Not individuals. <laughs> do you know that I'm,
4: I've, I still, even though I haven't drunk for a long time, I still have great affection for the red lips and black teeth of someone that's hit the bottle too hard? I'm like, good for you. You're out of the house and you're like, nah, I'm sticking with it. I don't have to look at this. You do. Oh, it's a penfold. Oh, no, hang on. It's a Jacob's Creek. It is. This I'm a writer.
0: I, this is why I drink vodka soda with a little dash of cranberry. Yeah, I used to do that. It's a very sophisticated drink.
4: It's very sophisticated. It is. It's, it depends it's, what you do with it.
0: Rose Kennedy used to drink it. They're called Rose Kennedys. Okay. Yeah. That, I've absolutely no eaten
4: it. a pie that I've dropped in the gutter after vodka soda, so... <laughs> I,
0: I think it's a mindset. <laughs> a mindset's got grapefruit juice in it. A mindset's got
4: grapefruit juice uh, A jug of mindsets, actually. A jug of mindsets.
0: Please welcome to the stage the magnificent Felicity Ward. Oh, hi. It's just me. I don't go to
4: the doctors very frequently. I got called a drama queen a lot when I was a child. So how I've tried to balance that as a healthy adult is um, become almost dangerous in my personal (laughs) self-neglect. An example is, two days ago, I was speaking to my fella on the phone. No brag, got a phone. And... Uh, he's in the UK, I'm over here, Ovi, and um, I'm at my mum's and I'm on the phone and I'm walking up and down her veranda and I scuff the ball of my foot on a massive nail that's just sticking out, right? A classic Australian injury, we've all done it. So I express myself appropriately, like, oh, fuck, oh, that
1: fucking hurts! Oh, I've hurt
4: myself! And he's down the phone in London going, are you alright, is it bleeding? And I say, yeah, but I'll just push it back in. And he says, push what back in? And I say, the chunk of skin hanging off of my foot. (laughs) Also recently, a couple of months ago, um, he had to stop and admonish me from eating food that I dropped in the kitchen floor. And I said aggressively, why can't I eat it? And he said, because there's rat poison there. (laughs) And he was right. And I was sad. (laughs) And still hungry. So when I when I go to the doctors, I try to go when I absolutely need them. I never go as a preventative measure. Check this out. I've got a girlfriend who goes to the dentist for a checkup. What? 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 You're t- like no long term residing pain in an increasingly sensitive molar. She just rocks up at the dentist with her teeth and she's like, hi, nah. Absolutely not, mate. On the contrary, I have a little game that I play when I'm eating a dense piece of multi-grain bread (laughs) called Ow, Was That a Seed or Was That My Tooth? (laughs) So the idea of not being heard when I go to the doctor is extra hurtful because given the certainty of death that I need to experience to even be there once... There's only been a few incidences where I haven't been heard. Ironically, one was about my bad hearing. It was, uh, it was like the deaf leading the deaf. And what happened was I went in and I had a junior doctor and she got the, you know, that sort of like um, that ear binocular that she puts in and they put it in quite deep and you sort of feel vulnerable but also like semi-tantric pain. So it's like, oh, it's bad but it's good. And so she pushes it in and she goes, oh, actually... Your ear canal is slightly small and a little bit twisted. Well, I was delighted, obviously. Not because that I had, you know, ears like a pretzel. I was just happy that I hadn't wasted anyone's time. And she said, I'm just going to go and get a second opinion if that's all right. I'm like, mate, bring the team in. Get them all in here. Yes, please. Then, a couple minutes later, a very jaded, huffy doctor comes in as if I'd personally asked to piss her off for the day. Comes in, takes the binocular, jams it in, doesn't feel good at all this time. And she looks and she goes, yeah, your ear canals are slightly smaller. It means nothing. Oh. Oh, it means nothing, does it? Oh, my ears mean nothing, doctor. Is that what you're telling me? Why am I yelling at you? Because I've got bad hearing, yeah? I probably wouldn't be yelling. Maybe my ears are blocked up with compassion and tact, but yours seems squeaky clean right now. Very angry at a doctor from the past. <laughs> the only other time that I haven't really been heard is I uh, was slightly dismissed with a breast cancer scare. I've had three breast cancer scares. Uh, runs in my family. My nan had it. And uh, the first two, I had scares. Uh, I had biopsies. They were cleared. Third time, with just a falafel ball that I dropped down my top. <laughs> and honestly, the amount of food I shake out of my bra at the end of the night, I could open a cafe, Truly. The good thing is, when my husband undresses me, also gets leftovers. So, dinner and a show. (laughs) If only the people at home could see the jiggling, the, the shimmying shoulders. There was an ad campaign in the UK not long ago, and it was a breast cancer awareness campaign, and it's the most ineffective and passive-aggressive ad campaign I've ever seen, right? It was a poster, everywhere there is these posters, and it said, "A 1,000 women in the UK die per month from breast cancer. Can you name the five signs of breast cancer? And then underneath, they didn't put the five signs of breast cancer. <laughs> You're a public awareness campaign you have one job to make the public aware what happened did you just run out of money halfway through just no more research do you know the five signs of breast cancer because we don't <laughs> like what if all breast cancer awareness or just public service announcements in general just started leaving out the vital information but then just popping a dubious question on the end like gambling it's addictive but what if you won? (laughs) Or what about um, sexism is bad? But who doesn't like a free drinky poos, am I right, ladies? (laughs) Or what about... I've got heaps of these. Or what about... That's a lie, I've got one more. What about um, global warming is man-made? Global warming is bad. Did someone say bikini party? there was five signs of breast cancer. I thought there was one. That's what we get taught in school. One. Lump. That's it. The one. You get taught the lump. That's it, right? Um, uh, lovely here. What's your name? Taylor, um, how many signs of breast cancer could you name? Two. Not bad. Lump and pain. Pretty good. Do you know, uh, there's, there's five. I, I will name them. Um, <laughs> only because I used to not name them. And then the amount of women that came up to me afterwards, they're like, hey, really enjoy the geek. What are the other five <laughs> signs of breast cancer? So, so lump is one, uh, redness and itchiness is another, swelling and pain is another, puckered skin is another and finally inverted nipple. Press the button, it stays in. Um, I, <laughs> I don't know why I said that either. Do you know, once I did, I, I did a gig and I did this bit and there was a woman sitting where you were sitting and I said, uh, how many signs of breast cancer could you name? And she said, I could probably name five. And all the women in the audience just collectively gasped as she reeled them off and she's like, I probably should be able to name five. I'm a doctor. <laughs> I, okay. Next night, same seat, I asked this woman, I said, how many signs of breast cancer do you reckon you could name? She's like, I could probably name three. Not bad. She named them and then she goes... I probably should be able to name three. I'm a doctor. I'm like, you should be able to name five, babe. (laughs) Back to university, yeah? You got some extra credits, too. So the only time that I've been slightly dismissed was a breast cancer scare. And I had a lump under my armpit and it was on my breast near my armpit. And it felt like it was getting bigger and it was hard. And I was very scared. And I went in and I went to the doctor and he did the test. And I said, tell it to me straight, doc. (laughs) Because I'm in a 1980s film (laughs) from America. Uh, Tell it to me straight, duck. And um, I said, is it cancer? And he said to my face, no, Felicity, you just have very lumpy breasts. (laughs) Now, please clean up this falafel. This is a doctor's surgery, not a buffet. Thank you very much. Will you please welcome to the
0: stage, Deborah francis White? So I was reading about diagnoses from the past, and as I was reading about them, I was thinking, for thousands of years, medicine has been terrible. Like, worse than nothing. Like, you're feeling ill, let me attach leeches to you, which will suck the blood that you have out of your body that you need. Like, let me hack off a limb. Let me cover you in boiling oil. Like, thousands of years, medicine was worse than not medicine. (laughs) Having a doctor was worse than not having a doctor. So in a way, like, while medicine has been good for a few decades, it's a very recent thing that medicine has been better than witchcraft. And we need to take that into account when we approach the medical profession. For example, doctors in Edwardian times were very anti-bicycles for women. It's true. They diagnosed women who rode bicycles who were known cyclists um, because cycling was helping the feminist movement. It was helping the suffragettes because they could get around. These were the things uh, that you would get uh, diagnosed with if they knew you were riding a bicycle. Headaches, depression. There was a public service campaign. You know, like the five signs of breast cancer. These were the five signs of women riding bicycles. <laughs> Except they were more than five. Headaches. You get, if you ride a bike, you'll get headaches. You'll get depression. You'll get exhaustion from riding your bike. You'll get insomnia. You'll get heart palpitations. And you'll get bicycle face. Uh, Felicity Ward is making bicycle face and that is, she's accurate that's what it was it was (laughs) doctors said because you would make awkward faces when you were riding a bicycle which be fair, you can do you see an oncoming car you're like or horse, I don't know Um, and doctors said uh, that your face would stay that way (laughs) it's true This is the medical profession. I was thinking this is not that long ago. Um, They also didn't like bicycles because it was impossible to wear corsets and bustles while riding a bicycle. So it was just basically bringing down society. Bicycles were the cause of much evil. Without bicycles, there's no guilty feminist, is what I'm saying. Um, So I thought about that, and I thought about how women must have been treated at the doctor when they read Wardian. And then I was thinking about times that I've been to the doctor and been diagnosed with bicycle face... And so I've written out three short recreations, as I remember them, uh, from three different doctors, which just sort of shows, I think, the breadth of my experience in terms of going to a doctor and being heard. Now, I'm going to give the doctors three different accents, because they had three different accents. (laughs) I'm not making these accents up, but it's more so that you can understand three different scenarios. I'm not doing any kind of piss-taking accents. So the first doctor was a doctor I went to see in Sydney many years ago when I was very young. I just wanted a general checkup because I've noticed some changes in my body. This was a good-looking, young Australian male doctor. A doctor, yeah, I just want a general check-up. I experienced some changes. What kind of changes? <laughs> Suspicious face. Um, my periods have been really irregular. Well, I can see from your file you're not on the pill. So, no, the pill didn't work for me. Well, you want your periods to be regular. You need to take the pill. Yes, but it made me more irregular. Well, the pill won't do that. It regulates. That's what it does. But not, not for me. It, it seemed to, to make it worse. Well, that's not possible. We'll try you on the mini pill. I'd rather not. Well, what are you using for contraception? Being a virgin. (laughs) That'll do it. It's worked so far. So is there anything else? Well, I've put on weight and I don't know why. I've sold my car, so I've been walking more and somehow I've, I've put on about 10 pounds and I've not changed my eating and I'm just worried it's a symptom of something. So do you want me to tell you That you've got a magical disease making you fat, sweetheart. No, I'm just worried that you want to lose weight, you eat less, you move more. I didn't say I wanted to lose weight. I said I'm worried my body is changing and I don't know why it might be hormonal. You don't look like there's much wrong with you, love, to be honest. Well, I'm glad I've came. (laughs) Scenario two. Uh, This is a French male doctor. This is when I was a nanny. And I brought a child who was sick, called Daniel. Why have you brought this child to see me? <laughs> it's just to demarcate him from the last guy. I think you were being French. He's n- um, oh, this is Me, sorry. Is me. <laughs> um, he's not well. He's got the flu. And have you given him Calpol and kept him in bed for forty-eight hours? It's, well, it's not been 48 hours. I've got, then you are wasting the time of the NHS and of me. Well, he's not my child. He's asthmatic. And I was worried that his breathing um, was labored. There is nothing I can do till he has had 48 hours on Calpol. He will be fine. Daniel starts to cry. Now you have upset him. <laughs> Daniel is now a doctor, by the way. And, uh, he has often said he looks back on that as the hallmark of the time when he wanted to be a doctor with better bedside manner. Um, he also has hay, really bad hay fever that leads to asthma. So he should have the very strong hormone injections. Well, he's only a child, and I would, would, would we not worry about putting that kind of thing in his body. Well, if you are going to be like that, you can only take herbs. If you do not want everything that medicine has to offer, there is no point to your being here. Just go to a naturopath and die. (laughs) He might not have said die, but he said everything else. Everything else. Everything else. Uh, Finally, English female doctor. What seems to be the problem? I need Prozac. Uh, Why? Um, Well, my father's died and I'm too sad to get out of bed. Well, I mean, the thing is, you need to grieve. Grieving is a medical condition. I mean, that's why the Victorians wore black for a year, so people understood if they didn't include themselves in life. Yeah, rich Victorians did that. Poor Victorians went back down the mine or up the chimney. That's what I need to do. Good point. <laughs> and also, my dad would want me to get on, and my biological clock is ticking. She writes down in the official notes on the computer, biological clock, Ticking. I see it on the screen. It's now on my file. (laughs) Biological clock ticking. Me. Uh, So that's official then. Yep, well that's what you've said. So it's, yep, okay. I think I might freeze my eggs. Oh, don't freeze your eggs. Just have a baby. Uh, it's It's not really a good time. There's never a good time to have a baby. Do it now. Why do people say that? There's never a good time to have a baby, so do it now. That's like saying there's never a good time to hit yourself in the face with a brick, so do it now. <laughs> she laughs. Well, before I prescribe Prozac, I need to ask how many units of alcohol you have each week. Uh, three? No, how, how many do you actually have, though? Six? She puts down Nine. And do you smoke? Um, only sometimes after a gig. A gig, I do stand-up comedy. Oh, my God, if you do stand-up comedy, of course you need a cigarette. What? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't be able to do stand-up comedy without a cigarette. I'm surprised you have one before, you have one up. I mean, you must do. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine you doing it without. I used to smoke. It's lovely, isn't it? <laughs> I'm not sure you're meant to say that. I'm not saying do it. I'm saying I miss it. So can I have the Prozac? Sure. Now, based on this anecdotal sample of three, I've learned that women doctors are better than men. Thank you. Hello, Guilty Feminist. I just wanted to let you know, if you live in America or Canada, I will be with you very soon. We are recording The Guilty Feminist live in Boston on the 2nd of January, in New York on the 4th and 5th of January, in Philadelphia on the 7th of January, in Chicago on the 9th of January, Toronto on the 12th, Vancouver on the 15th, San Francisco on the 17th, Seattle on the 20th, and Los Angeles on the 22nd of January. Go to guiltyfeminist.com. And you'll find links to all those venues where you can buy tickets. We'll also be in Australia and New Zealand in February. Look on the website for those dates as well. Come see us while we're in town. If you're in the United Kingdom, the Guilty Feminist live show is back on tour May 2020 and tickets go on sale today. Yay. So we start this time at the Hammersmith Apollo In London, on the 1st of May, get tickets now. They're going to go really quickly. And then we go to Brighton, Ipswich, Hull, Guildford, Nottingham, Salford, York, Norwich, Halifax, High Wycombe, Woking, Richmond, Aylesbury, Crawley, Watford, Southend, Coventry, Oxford, Glasgow, Plymouth, Birmingham, Bournemouth, Sheffield, Cardiff, Bath and Newcastle. We will see you in one of those venues. Tickets make a great Christmas present. That's a good idea. Also, for Christmas, if you're looking for stocking fillers, we have some wonderful merch that we've made sure is ethically sourced. We have sisterhoodies that say the sisterhood protects us from the rain. We have aprons that say, I'm a feminist, but I do love a good apron. We've got tea towels. We've got T-shirts. We've got mugs, all sorts of different slogans, uh, notebooks. And you know that the prophets go to help us do stuff like suffragette and projects with Choose Love and that kind of thing. So get in and get them now at guiltyfeminist.com. In addition, Steve Ali, who makes necklaces, has his two standard designs out, the ones that say guilty feminist and woman in Arabic, but he's added some new designs. Many of you remember Shaolan, who came on and taught us a little bit of Chinesey Chinese characters and how we break them down. And she taught us the Chinese characters for gender mean the birth of your heart, not the birth of your body. So we thought this was a really lovely idea because it had come through the Guilty Feminist. Steve has made a necklace that says the birth of your heart in Chinese characters. It's really beautiful design as well. And he's also made a Choose Love necklace that's quite chunky and lovely. It says Choose Love in Arabic. If you go to our website, you can find a link to Road from Damascus. You can just Google Road from Damascus and Steve will get you those necklaces in time for Christmas if you order soon. And speaking of Choose Love, I will be at the Choose Love store in London at 3 pm on the 21st of December doing a book signing. Now, you need to buy the book somewhere else. It's got a brand new, snazzy, sexy cover for this Christmas. So if you want to buy one for somebody else for a Christmas present, or you haven't managed to get one yourself yet, go and buy one in a bookshop, ideally one that pays their tax, and then bring it on the 21st of December. If you don't want a book signed, you might want something else signed, or you might want a selfie, or you might want me to make you a little video for a friend that says I'm a feminist, but I will be at the Choose Love store doing that. And when you're there, please buy some life-saving supplies for refugees. You can buy a baby grow for a baby that's currently in freezing conditions. You can buy a life jacket. You can buy a hot meal, a shower, And you know that that money goes exactly where they say it's going to go. Saturday, the 21st of December at 3pm, I will be in the Choose Love store. Come by and see me. And don't forget to Choose Love. You can go on choose.love and buy these things at any time. You don't have to come into the store. And finally, I just wanted to say that Neil Gifford, who was on a recent episode of The Guilty Feminist, talking about Gifford's circus and having cancer and how that changed her life, has very very sadly passed away yesterday and we just want to say she was a magnificent woman we know that she'll rest in power and we send our love to her family to everybody who knew and loved her and everyone who knew and loved Gifford Circus. Nell thank you so much for coming on the Guilty Feminist and being your wonderful brilliant self and we'll miss you greatly and now back to the podcast. today. Two guests today. One is the author of the best-selling Not Just Lucky, a career manifesto for millennial women and The Motherhood, an anthology of letters about life with a newborn. She is also the editor at large of futurewomen.com. And the other is a teacher, writer, and podcast. She hosts the Garrett at the State Library of Victoria. She's also an advocate for MS Australia. Please welcome to the stage the wonderful Jamila Rivesby and the fabulous Astrid Edwards. So Jamila and Astrid... Health and being heard, you both
3: know something about this. Jamila, tell us a little bit about your diagnosis. Um, So I'm one of those people who's always considered themselves a very healthy person. Uh, I've been inside a hospital once in my entire life until about 18 months ago, and that was to give birth to my son. And then, yeah, I think it was about 18 months ago, I skipped a period, which is, I think, pretty non-unusual for a lot of us, Uh, went to the doctor. And very luckily was heard. I'm one of those rare people who has a very happy story to tell uh, with a GP who took me very seriously and didn't laugh it off and didn't dismiss it and didn't just say, "Oh love, you're probably a bit stressed." And two months later was diagnosed with a brain tumor, and two brain surgeries later, still here.
4: Can I) ask what symptoms you were presenting at the beginning because often when you present sort of general symptoms they'll go oh it's this or oh it's that yeah so what did you present to the doctor I've told you that's it That you just skipped skipped, a period?
3: I skipped two periods in a row. And when is she getting Australian of the Year? Indeed. Indeed. And, you know, it's so interesting when we talk about medicine, the glory always goes to the brain surgeon, right? And, you know, no offence to my brain surgeon, awesome. (laughs) Seen my brain Keep up the good work. Still working. Big fan. Um, But not enough praise goes to the GP, who is the one who has to pick early signs that something is wrong. Mm. And I think a GP who took me seriously... And who So you'd
0: skipped two periods and that was it? That was it. Wow.
3: I went into that first brain surgery running 10 kilometres a day, healthy as I'd ever been in my entire life. Wow. That's amazing, then, that she diagnosed that. She got many flowers. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely.
0: And Astrid, could you tell us a little bit about your diagnosis? It was quite different, wasn't it?
5: It was quite different. So I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis just over five years ago. I, uh, for the year before that, I was feeling pretty bad. I kept going to the GP, both here in Melbourne, where I live, and in Sydney, where my family is from, continually. I feel sick, I'm in pain, my body is changing, my balance isn't working, all sorts of things. And I was told, you're stressed, go home and sleep, uh, you're imagining it, you're depressed. And then, lo and behold, uh, five years ago, I had a very dramatic MS relapse, which is what happens when all of the symptoms uh, come at once. Um, was put in an MRI machine, and lo and behold, I have holes in my brain, and I have multiple sclerosis. Having said that, I have a very good MS diagnosis story. I was diagnosed within about a year of me noticing that I was very ill. MS is quite a gendered disease. Three out of four people who have MS are cis female. And it often takes 5, 10, even 15 years to get diagnosed because they're sent home. So I'm really glad that we are talking about this topic.
0: Somebody else told me she has ME, and about 1 in 100 have ME, but uh, it's very rarely diagnosed because 75% or 85% of those with ME are women. And women are often told you're hysterical, you're stressed, You and there's a long history of this, you're imagining it, it's all in your head. Even I've got a friend who has absolutely chronic pain, and they just kept saying, I'm sorry, there's nothing wrong with you, it's all in your head. And then eventually they did find out what was wrong with her. Yeah. It's like the doctor's gaslighting you. And we must say up front, we've probably got doctors in, doctors do an incredible job. As you said, your GP spotted it. And you know, doctors are not supernatural, they're not saints, everyone has a bad day at the office, everyone misses things in all of our jobs. So I want to first of all say well done medical profession for going into it and you know uh, bravely I couldn't do it so it's very brave um, but within that there is a patriarchal culture then that's what we're analyzing we're not dissing the medical community who work hard and are often under resourced but we are looking specifically at the patriarchal structures which may disbelieve women more and there's evidence to suggest this isn't there
5: Very much so. The drug that I take, and bearing in mind, you know, three out of four people who take any of the drugs for multiple sclerosis are most likely to be um, female, is not tested on pregnant females, which strikes me as a massive problem.
0: It's not tested on women who are pregnant? No. Or presumably non-binary people or or trans men who also could be pregnant? Yes. Um, Well, that'd just
4: get in the way, wouldn't it? Of the good
0: medicine. Well, that's, that's a joke. That's, 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 that is Everyone chill out. That is what's said, isn't it? That like, when, when brains are studied, they don't want to study the brains of people who menstruate because uh, they say, well, that's extra noise in the sample. And so it provides hormonal fluctuations that we then have to deal with. That's true that for many, many years, and I don't know if that's shifting now, they just didn't want to use in studies, anybody who menstruates. So that means 51% of the population are not being analysed in the study, and tests tend to be done on cis male bodies, which is an extraordinary thing, because obviously there are differences.
5: There are differences,
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there absolutely are differences. So... One of the problems is that hormones, both sex hormones that are different, but also all of our other hormones, who knew we had more than just estrogen and testosterone, are in our bodies at different levels, depending on what sex you're born with. So that is going to be determinative of a whole bunch of things in your body and the way your body works. So that's important biologically. And if you just carve out 50% of your possible test subjects that means you get drugs coming into the market that, for a large number of people, are not appropriate.
4: Now, I don't want to be crass here, but that sounds like absolutely mad cunt behaviour.
3: <laughs>
4: That's like the technical that... medical term. <laughs> Indeed. I'm not a doctor, but... Like, that is wild.
0: It's incredible. That is
4: absolutely wild They were like, well, we've got the general idea, you guys will adapt, you always fucking do. <laughs>
0: Basically, that's what's happening. She's Louise. And why are women not listened to? As you say, when women have MS, and often the diagnosis isn't made for 10 to 15 years because they're just told you're just tired, you're just stressed, you're imagining it, it's all in your head. What is happening there, and how can we
5: change it? So many things are happening there. First off, I should say um, multiple sclerosis is quite a strange uh, disease in that there are so many different conditions. Think about a day when you've been ill in your life, and that could be a symptom of multiple sclerosis. So it is very hard to diagnose. Many neurological conditions are hard to diagnose. So I don't want to bash GPs or anything. I, um, I have a great respect for the medical profession and my neurologist and MS nurse. However, it's also about hassling your doctor and finding a second opinion and believing yourself. If your body is feeling different, you have to keep saying it because if you get sent home, you're not going to get better at home. You have to go back. Mm. I think, that, I think that
4: what you're talking about is actually a huge experience of people that have chronic pain, that you just get fobbed off again and again and you end up having to go doctor shopping so that you get a different doctor and you hope that the notes aren't transferred. And, like, it's just... It's so... It is gaslighting and it's crazy-making and that, that's never going to make you feel better. You're, ne- you're never going to... If someone goes, oh, no, you're imagining it, you'll go, you know what, maybe I am imagining it.
5: Oh, I do feel better. Pain is a really interesting topic in preparation for today. I, was, I went to Google. Did you know when someone goes to a doctor and, uh, you know, complains of pain, neuropathic pain, men, patients, male patients are more likely to get given pain relief and uh, female patients are more likely to be given a sedative? Wow. Like, just think about what the medical profession has achieved
3: over hundreds of hundreds of years, you know, barring the bicycle issue we discussed earlier. The Cycling pro- is terminal. It is. <laughs> Never piss off cyclists. No. I've learnt that in another profession. Um, they'll come after you.
4: <laughs> slowly.
3: But we've... We, I mean, <laughs> very slowly and safely. Um, wearing pointy things to get rid of the magpies. And. Um, one of the things we know is that we have come up with drugs and ways of treating things that are unbelievable like when I sit there across the table from my brain surgeon and think you've seen my brain like mm. I, I can't wrap my brain around that like I only just thought that I was like oh my god he has right? seen your brain and, and he makes he says things like Well, I mean, having seen it now myself, you know, not just on the scans, and you go, (laughs) gross, I haven't seen that part of me. What doctors are able to do now is insane. And yet, how we've advanced to this point in the world, and we still can't do childbirth in a way that doesn't have much pain associated with it, that's not because that's hard, or harder Mm. than the other stuff. That's because we didn't care enough. Mm.
4: That's, that's because that's that I, wasn't yeah. worth
3: investing in for whatever reason. I think that if cis men menstruated,
0: yeah. they wouldn't. Because oh, well, yeah, it would be we cured. would cure cured that business. It would be cured. It yeah. would be... There would be some, you know, some way around... The worst excesses of it anyway and the pain associated with it and that kind of thing. But
3: well, if I can echo Astrid on the believing in yourself... Oh, my God, I can't believe I just said that. But... This is the the right
0: podcast to believe
4: in yourself. Don't worry, this is very on brand.
3: um, As I said, I had a great experience uh, first time around with my brain tumour being diagnosed very early. Second time around, I could tell something was going on. I could tell my eyesight was funny. And I was saying it again and again at home and I was complaining about it. And so when I went in to have my eyes tested, which I have to do regularly because my tumour presses on where my eyesight is, I went in and they were like, nah, all clear, we're all good. And I went, okay. And three days later I called back and said, I would like to do all the tests again, please. Mm. Because I think something's wrong. And they were like, they're very expensive tests. And I said, I know. I'm very lucky to live in Australia and have Medicare. (laughs) And stared them down with my bad eyesight. Went in, got tested again, backing myself. And I performed better. Um, awkward, three weeks later, brain scan, yes, it was pressing on my eyesight, the tests hadn't picked it up. I think there's often that feeling of, I can't go back, I can't go back, they're just going to tell me it's in my head. Who cares if it's just in your head? I mean, it was. I I know, but if you, which is wonderful, but if you are someone who is dealing with a level of hypochondria to that degree, you probably are struggling. You probably do need to talk to someone or see someone, it just might be a different kind of doctor.
4: Well, you guys brought it up before the show to the idea of a lack of psychological support that you got through this. And this is like, with any major surgery or something as drastic as a tumour, once you leave the doctor, like, there's no plan, is there? There's no one that you talk to or there's no, like, it's just, sorry, I mean, I'm just worried that if I get started on a mental health bandwagon, it will not stop. (laughs) That's my major concern. What would you have liked that you didn't get?
3: Now, I looked after my mental health as carefully as I could during that process, but it was of my own volition and my partner's volition. And he was the one who said, I remember the day I was diagnosed, you need to see someone because I can't deal with this on my own. I'll do my best, but we need you to talk to a professional. And he did the same thing. My partner took him off and spoke to a psychologist about me and how he could better support me. I saw her once a week in the lead-up to the surgery, I saw her afterwards, and that really helped. We even saw a psychologist who was a child psychologist to talk about how we dealt with this with our toddler at the time, how much we should tell him, how much we shouldn't tell him, and we have been really careful the whole way through because we know it's important, but not a single medical doctor who was focused on my physical health has suggested I see a psychologist at any point.
0: Is that the same, Astrid, with MS?
5: I have two answers to that. MS is very different than a tumor. Um, It's chronic, it's progressive, and it's degenerative, so I will always become iller over the course of my life. I spent the first year thinking I had my shit together. I did not. Um, I almost ruined my own relationship. I uh, had a very bad time at work, and I didn't realize that I was actually grieving for my former healthy self. I was grieving for the sensations that I can't feel. I can't feel my back right now. Uh, I was mourning what I could have been and what I was. Over time, I've been angry. I've told Jamila I recommended she do this. I've cut up all of my my first scans that showed the lesions in my brain. And it's an ongoing process. Nobody ever offered me support until you know I turned up saying, I don't think I'm doing very well. And now, because MS is a scary disease, they will prescribe me anything, uh, which I think is the opposite of what they should do uh, and they should not be doing that to everybody with a chronic illness you shouldn't just be able to get some drugs because you're ill you should be able to work through and get support when you need it and be encouraged to seek it out
4: and combination like a combination the fact that they're looking at physical and mental illness separately is so insane and it's the same with mental illness like with anxiety and depression it has a physiological effect on you but often you can get told that the symptoms that you're experiencing are basically psychosomatic. Or when you have physical pain, that the depression and anxiety is psychosomatic. It's like, maybe we just have a look at both. Why don't we just throw that hat in the ring, you know? Just give it a go.
0: Because we, we are one organism. And I think governments with socialised healthcare, as all governments should offer, would save so much money if they focused on mental health and preventative Mental health care, uh, in, but that's in the not long just term. think.
4: That's evidence has proven. Yeah, there is evidence. There is studies that when you invest in mental health, what you actually do is you your economy. Like I always focus on the money. I always think about the
0: yeah I, because I'm, that's what that, it's not what I care about. But yes. I understand that's what often drives policy. Uh, policy, the, the policy yeah.
4: is that yes, people will feel better if they get correct um, psychological treatment. But the positives that you get from that, the things that come out of it, there's a a huge problem with presenteeism, which is turning up to work, but you're not able to be productive because of your mental illness. So there's no presenteeism. Uh, People are more productive. People are more socially engaged. People are more invested in their community. Like There is no negative outcome to investing in mental health apart from very small, short-term investments that you end up making so soon back It's, sorry, it's fucking mental. It's mental that this country doesn't offer. I know we get, there's 10...
3: Ten. It's eight sessions that can become 12. Yes, like
4: and it, but it also depends on your tax income of how much of that is deductible. I think some people can get 10. But if you're dealing with, like, hardcore trauma, 10 sessions is not going to sort that out. And what if you get halfway through the trauma and then you're just stuck there and you can't afford yeah. to finish it? Well and also, then you're in the debt. We so do, I told you the bandwagon was coming. It's a good I, bandwagon. I, I warned
0: you, I'm angry! We... We do need also our medical professionals suggest these things because I'm aware that there is an element of privilege in us saying, well, what you need to do is go to your doctor and tell your doctor this is what you need, or you need to find a psychologist that's right for you because there are plenty of people in our community that wouldn't feel they had the permission to do that, wouldn't know about that, wouldn't culturally be uh, connected to that. You know, I, I live or with someone... Or don't have the resources. People in rural Australia don't have access to 100%. It. Or I live with someone who's of Arabic culture and and he said in his particular community, therapy was seen as like a weakness mm. and now he yes. and his friends who've been through a refugee experience are going... Okay, maybe this is something that we need to come to. So there are all sorts of reasons why our medical professionals might need to be suggesting and recommending this. So what can we do to reach out and, uh, as feminists, make sure other women and non-binary people, transmasculine people, and just and men, you know, cis men as well, seek out this combining of mental and physical health.
3: That's a that's a very big question. Um, for me, I know one thing that has helped when I have talked to huge numbers of friends who suffer from anxiety and depression, because it's incredibly prevalent in our community. You probably know more people who suffer from anxiety or depression than don't. When I have spoken to friends who haven't experienced serious physical illness about what's going on with me, there's this sense of embarrassment amongst mates who have mental illness. I can see it in them and I can feel it in them, mm-hmm. where they kind of go, oh, wow, you've got Like there's real stuff going on with you and yet... You get the knot in your stomach. uh, yet I'm finding life hard. Let me give this simple fact, which I hope allows people who are struggling with mental illness a sense of permission to admit that that is bloody hard and a horrible thing to be dealing with. I would have those brain surgeries over again 50 times each and do those physical recoveries again 50 times each and they were not easy, they're still hell. I would do it 50 times over to avoid those couple of months before that first surgery where my mental health was in the toilet. I could never go back there and live those two months again. Those months of fear and constant anxiety were way worse than anything I went through physically. And I'm someone who has enjoyed quite good mental health most of my life, but those two months were hell. And I always think of that and think of that's what friends and family are going through, and yet they don't have a medical system full of resources that's at their disposal the way... I do for my particular kind of broken brain. Um, If you have a brain that's not functioning for a reason of mental health rather than physical health, you don't get the same support that Astrid and I get.
0: And Astrid, you said that people often say, oh, you don't look like there's anything wrong with you.
5: Uh, Yes, they do. And that is really problematic for a whole lot of reasons. To start with, what I look like has nothing to do with the... um, I think it's one of the three most expensive diseases on the Australian PBS. Uh, So you don't want multiple sclerosis. It's also progressive. There is no known cure or cause. Um, So the fact that I look well is kind of deeply insulting. And it's also that's just simply the symptoms that are manifesting at this point in time. Does everybody here know Selma Blair? Um, uh, American Hollywood actress famous for um, starring in Wild Things kissing Neve Campbell in Wild Things (laughs) Um, uh, she announced that she um, has multiple sclerosis at the end of last year um, and her balance is affected so she now walks with a cane and she reposts all of the horrible messages she gets uh, from people saying she shouldn't take pictures with a cane and she shouldn't share um, how bad she feels, even though she still looks like a Hollywood actress, because it's bringing the tone down and making everybody feel negative. What? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't you hate oh, wow. relating to
4: people? Isn't that just oh, enough when you're like, God. oh, you feeling bad too? Oh, no thanks.
5: Um, yeah, so in the same way that someone might be really struggling with anxiety or depression... But, you know, you can't see it on the outside. It doesn't matter what someone looks like. It matters how their health, physical or mental, or both, really is.
0: Um, So is there anything else that you want to say that is important for the Guilty Feminist audience to hear? And it can be on
5: any of these topics. Having a chronic illness, a lifelong illness, can be really embarrassing. And you find yourself in situations where you just... You never thought, you don't even know what the social etiquette is and it's painful and humiliating and ultimately it's just another thing that you have to get through, um, you know, that day in hospital or that day unable to get home or whatever it is. And it's almost like you're carrying the load of everybody else's reaction to your illness or your, you know, inability on that day. So I would just ask for and encourage compassion and openness with everybody in your life because i Bet you that you know people who aren't telling you the truth about how they feel.
3: I'm Jamila? I have two things. Uh, I'll be quick, though. The first one is, no-one knows what to say. Like, you're going to be sitting there when a friend becomes really ill and you're like, oh, my God, I just don't know what to say. No-one knows. I don't know what to say. Like, this is awful and scary and I don't know what's going to happen and I don't know what's going on, but it's still nice to have people around, and help comes in many forms. My best friend in the world and I still cannot talk about me being sick because she just cries. Um, She can't deal with it, but she shows up. She flies down whenever I'm sick and she stays for a week. When I was first diagnosed, she just showed up at our house. She lives interstate, and she was like, I didn't know what to do, so I came. (laughs) And She can't talk about it. She can't discuss it, and that's okay because I've got other people I can talk to. She can't do that bit, but she can do inane chatter. She can tell me what Hollywood gossip is going on. She can give me deep tips on makeup and hiding my scar. She's got a ridiculous way of supporting, and that's fine. Showing up is the most important thing, and I've been really fortunate in that the vast majority of people in my life have shown up in various ways. I only think hurting up one or two kind of ran away, that's what hurts. They're going, I don't know what to do, so I'm just going to run away from this. The feeling of being abandoned on top of being sick is so awful. Having said show up, just cook something that's not lasagna. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I like lasagna, but I've had more lasagna in the last 18 months. (laughs) That I ever wanted to see again. Oh. And there are many delicious dishes in the world, and you should experiment Taking with those, those no or pay lasagna. someone no who can cook something no else. That's all right, I got. Thank you. A really
4: sage was... point. Amazing. No lasagna.
0: We've learned so much from you both, and thank you so much for coming, for sharing, for. Uh, being open, being honest, and I really feel that I've been emboldened by you that if I have symptoms, to go back and ask again and ask for the tests again and just keep asking. And it's part of our feminism to be brave enough to allow ourselves to be heard and support each other. If somebody is telling you, yeah, I went, but the doctor said there was nothing wrong, if their gut is telling them there is, go back with them and encourage them And also a shout-out to all our medical professionals who are doing the best they can, who are under-resourced, who look after us and who are trying their best. We appreciate you, and we know that anybody who's listening to this podcast will be doing the best that they can. We don't want to discourage you either and make you feel like, you know, you've got to be perfect. Thank you for being there.
4: May I just add a little addendum? Because we talk about women going to the doctor and being dismissed and leaving or being offered sedatives. The the flip side, I think it is worth mentioning that men predominantly don't go to the doctor, that they take too long. So, like, feminism is about equality. And also when it comes to mental health, there's only three countries in the world where women uh, take their own lives at a higher rate than men. It's so disproportionate that male suicide to female suicide is so disproportionate. So So we need to
0: encourage men to go... ..to be heard, to open up... Yes. ..and try Um, and open up. It's the buffers... I think I've spoken about this before,
4: but I made a documentary years ago, and we spoke to... There's a group called Mates in Construction who are incredible, and they go around to construction sites because construction workers die from suicide six times the national average. A lot of men in construction... They leave school, which is a coddled environment, and then they go into these long hours, high pressure, high financial overheads, apprentice wages and then a very macho environment, a lot of middle management, a lot of bullying, and then they turn to alcohol and gambling sometimes, but often it'll just take one trauma or one tragedy and that will switch because there isn't the buffer and what mates in construction do is they train people on site so there's someone to go to and that sort of seems to be a big gap is that men don't have the same buffers as women do. They don't have the same confidence. they don't have the same Well, stolons. they don't
0: go for those brunches and those, those drinks that we they were talking about earlier. They need more illusions,
4: Where. Just Bugs of illusion, we
0: listen to each other and we counsel each other and we give each other therapy and we get each other to open up. But and we're trained. That is
4: part of the wonderful part of yeah, female yeah, yeah, yeah. culture. But
0: I would really love it if men who listen to this podcast would ask their male friends more things, and also women ask our male friends yes. and our male partners and get them to open up if they are, but you know, shutting it down. Uh, let's start having those conversations. amazing guest uh is going to do something where we can all be together and all be involved before we go home so please put your hands together for Jane York and Evie Yanis for the big feminist sing
2: hello
6: thank you Hi everybody. So I'm Jane, and I'm the musical director of Big Feminist Sing, and we're a monthly singing workshop, a feminist singing workshop, obviously. who move around; we have different locations. And tonight, our location is right here. Are you guys having a good time tonight? Yes. And I want to introduce a very special accompanist, Evie Yannis, who's going to play. Is it the darabuka? Darabuka. Um, And Evie is a um, Egyptian-born Greek percussionist and percussion teacher. And do you want to share why this is so important that you're playing the
2: darabuka? So um, back in ancient Egypt and Greece, where I come from, the women were actually the drummers. They used to play instruments like this, and then the men took um, the drumming and excluded us women. So now I'm part of actually. Um, I'm very proud to say that um, I'm part of actually reclaiming that. And. Um, yeah. And um, helping and inspiring other women to do the same. So, yeah.
6: (laughs) It's an awesome story. So, we're going to, after all the amazing discussion this evening, sing about surviving. Yeah? Yeah, let's do it. And I'll get you you to intro us with a bit of percussion. And I'm going to sing something on a loop. And once you get the gist, just join in.
2: First I was afraid, I was petrified Join me.
6: Felicity, and you're going to sing the first thing I sung. I'm so sorry. First I was afraid, I was petrified. Ooh. And in this half of the room, we're going to sing that lower part, and I'll sing that on its own. At first
2: I was afraid, I was petrified, but now I hold my head up high. And at first I was afraid, I was petrified, but now I hold my head up high. Keep going, that's great. First
6: I was afraid, I was petrified, now I hold my head up high.
2: Join us on the side of the room. First I was afraid, I was petrified, now I hold my head up high. Good job, Felicity. Thanks. First I was afraid, I was petrified, now I hold my head up high. Stop there. Good job, everybody. Yes. yes. All
6: right. So there's two parts going on. We've got one more. Maybe the balcony can have this part.
2: Hey, hey, I will survive. Yeah, you got it? <laughs> let's have
6: a go.
0: You've got to be loud because it's a podcast you've and you're be... not mic'd.
6: Yeah, you've got to be so loud. Are we ready? We start with hey, hey. So let's do it all together. Deep breath.
2: Hey, hey. I will survive
6: And if you're asking when do I breathe, you don't, okay? (laughs) Now one more thing, we all need to stand up if we can. If you need to stay seated, that's fine, but let's... (sighs) That means we're gonna stop talking. The drum. All right, we're ready? One more thing. No! All right, come on we need to have a big finish. So when I do this, that means big finish is coming. You can jazz hands with me if you need to. But with your mouth, what I want you to do is join the balcony with, I will survive. And you can sing it on any note, whatever note you're already doing. So we do.
2: I will, I will survive. I will survive.
6: Whatever note you're already on. Just stick with that note and we're joining them. So that means, yeah.
4: I'm doing it over and over again, mate.
6: I'm so glad we rehearsed for two hours before this. <laughs> we didn't. I'm
4: on the fly here. I'm natural. All
6: right. Da da
2: da da. Are we all ready? Mm, yeah. that's our note. Mm.
4: <laughs> Thank you.
2: Did I do two-unit music in
4: high school? Sure. Why did you bring it up?
6: Evie's going to bring us in with a little intro.
2: Yeah. Ready? At first I was
4: afraid, I was petrified. Crushing it. I'm sorry. Kill me! You you said everyone in the balcony. You're like, hi, everyone in the balcony. Are you happy? I'm like, bit intense, mate. Like that, you just, how is it going up there? But are you happy is so fucking full on, isn't it? You're like, no, I mean, not holistically. There's some areas of my life that I would like to improve. You're just reminding me and I've come out for a good night to try and escape the horrors of my
0: mind. Are you happy? I, I'm so sorry. I should have said, hey, in the balcony, are you experiencing any existential angst? Yeah, there you go. Yes. yes. And they've waved. They've like, yeah, Rob. I feel that. I feel that. I question everything.